We're in a sermon series titled, The I Am Statements of Jesus. In the first sermon, we looked at a statement of Jesus that really ticked off the religious leaders in his day. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he invoked the divine name for God himself. Only God is able to call himself, I am. And at the time, the religious leaders knew exactly what he was claiming. He was, Jesus was claiming deity. Now, in John's gospel, there are seven I am statements that follow the formula where Jesus says, I am, and then he fills in the blank. And last week, we studied the first I am statement where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And today, we look at the bold, audacious claim of Jesus when he says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 8 Verses 12 through 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us. We, we thank you that Jesus lived a life that was always pleasing to you, that he always did your will. We are not those kind of people, but we thank you that he did this for us. Help us to comprehend more fully what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. 
May it transform us here and now and for all eternity, we pray. Amen. When I say we live in a dark world, what comes to mind? My guess is that most of us would not think I'm talking about a power outage. See, in most languages around the world, light and darkness are common metaphors for moral or spiritual realities. And so the lone ranger rides on a white horse and the villain wears a black hat. And so when I say we live in a dark world, we are right to understand that this means there exists on earth such dark things as sorrow, addictions, human trafficking, apathy, greed, racism, abandonment, sexism, bribery, injustice, murder, cancer, wars, and yes, even robocalls. This world we live in isn't as it should be, right? We know this. We live in a dark world in need of much light, and and so we do what comes naturally to us as human beings. We look inside of this world for light that can somehow overcome the darkness that we experience. Take, for instance, how so many people look to earthly government to be its light in this darkness. We, we naively think that it's our candidate, if elected, will bring light and cast out the darkness. But of course, as we look back over the centuries of American politics, new leaders have never produced the light that this world needs. And yet, for some reason, we continue to hitch our wagons to the next politician who promises to bring us light in this darkness. And so here is what we need to hear from Jesus in our passage. In these times of uncertainty, in these times of danger, Jesus stands among us today and he says, I am the light of the world. Into America with its divided and warring factions, into the United Kingdom, into Israel and Iran and Iraq and China and Venezuela and the Sudan and in Somalia with all their darknesses and divisions. And yes, into our community here on the East End and into our homes and into our lives. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Listen, this is no small proclamation. If it's true, oh, if it is true, then the light that we long for has come. And so this morning, with a sense of urgency, we must receive Jesus' words. When every other light that we try to kindle to make our lives better flickers out, Jesus gathers around us and proclaims, I am your light in the midst of your dark days. And so this morning, here's what we're going to learn. Because Jesus is the light of the world, we must follow him. I hope you noticed that in the text. I'm not making this up. We're going to look at that. And we're going to look at two areas. First, we're going to look at Jesus' claim. And then Jesus' promise. First, the claim. Jesus makes a big, audacious claim to be divine light from heaven that overcomes the darkness of this world. Now, the problem with Jesus' claim, if you could say such a thing, is that it confronts us. We think we can produce our own light and wisdom and illumination and progress. 
out of our own wherewithal and intelligence. Consider the age of the Enlightenment in the 1700s. The Enlightenment was characterized by paradigm-shifting thought in the areas of science and reason and philosophy and in government. It came with a profound sense of pride in mankind's ability to light its own torches in this dark world. There was great optimism in how mankind was able to discover and reason their way into a better world where darkness was controlled. Problem was, and still is, such hubris leads to even more darkness. The light of the Enlightenment led to the darkness of the French Revolution and the guillotine. And yet all of the human race keeps making the same mistake of lighting our own torches. That we can create our own best future by creating our own light and walking in it. But then what happens? The light goes out and darkness returns. Check out these words of God as he spoke to the prophet Isaiah. It's beautiful. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Beautiful, huh? But listen to these words of warning that follow immediately. This is Isaiah 50, verse 11. Behold all of you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches. Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. This is mankind's chief problem. Instead of drawing near to God, who will be light for us, we turn from God and light our own torches in this dark world. Do you see this in your life? And yes, even Christians can do this. Please know this, that if you insist on walking, on, on, on lighting your own torches and walking in them, eventually the light will go out. But also consider this. It is this dark world that God loves. For God so loved the world that he sent the light of the world into this world. He does not despise us. God even knows that we do this with getting our own torches. He knows this about us. Understand this. God could not care more sincerely and deeply for this world. Remember how the Gospel of John opens up. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Ray Orland, who I'm indebted to this morning, puts it this way. Listen, he says... Listen closely. Jesus did not say, I am a light in the world. He said, I am the light of the world. There is no other. If we ever want to see beyond our own destructive genius, Jesus is saying, you've got to follow me. He's not pointing to some light elsewhere and offering himself as our guide to that other light. 
he is saying that he is the light. He, go, he goes on to say, if you do not follow after Jesus, here's what Ortland says, here's the rest of your life. I know this might be hard, but here's the rest of your life. If you do not follow after Jesus, you will bump into one self-inflicted injury after another. You will never understand why. You will never understand yourself, but you will keep believing that you will soon somehow get the hang of it, how life works, with some new approach of your own or what you hear from somebody else. And so the question we need to comprehend is this. Are you willing to stake all your happiness, your eternal destiny, your one precious, unrepeatable life on your own flawed perceptions? This this claim of Jesus, it confronts us, right? The question is, will we listen? Will we lay down our torches that we have lit? And will we turn towards and will we follow after the only one who could ever say, I am the light of the world? It's also important for us to understand the context of Jesus' claim. Context is critical. Context is key. Jesus said these words where? It It was during the annual big giant feast in Jerusalem, the Feast of Tabernacles. God had established this this annual gathering where where the whole nation came to to Jerusalem and they lived in makeshift tabernacles or tents for a whole week. Could you imagine that? Like if we all just gathered out in the field and tents and hung out and celebrated? Okay, Maybe, maybe that's something for the build team to work on. Maybe not. Well, what, it, what was the purpose of this? It symbolized the 40 years that they wandered as a nation in the, the dark desert wilderness outside of Egypt and how God led them by day in a pillar of smoke and how he led them by night in a pillar of fire. And wherever God moved with this pillar, so did the people. They followed the light. And as they wandered, listen, God was all they had. And so think of this. When, when God is all you have, then you come to find that God is all you need. Now, during the Feast of the Tabernacles, four giant torches were lifted up in the temple. They were lifted high, high above. The Mishnah records that, that there wasn't a courtyard in all of Jerusalem that wasn't radiated with this light. And at the, at the feast, people sang and they danced in celebration about how God has been their light in the dark wilderness of life. And then at the end of the week, though, they would extinguish these beautiful, bright torches. And it would go dark. Now, it is likely that at that moment, at that moment is when Jesus says these words. As the lights were snuffed out, Jesus spoke and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see why context is good? Helps us understand what was going on then. Now, the entire Bible, from cover to cover, from the very beginning to the very end, speaks of God being a light for his people and for this world. David sings, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Isaiah says, the Lord will be your everlasting light. Job said, by his light I walked through darkness. The prophet Micah said, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. 
And now it's in this context of this feast that Jesus is saying, I am that Shekinah glory of God for his people. He is the hope of every sinner and every sufferer everywhere. He's making an audacious claim. And this is why they push back at Jesus throughout the rest of this chapter. They know what Jesus is saying. When Jesus says, I am, he's claiming divinity. He says, I am the light of the world. They think that, Jesus, you've overstepped your bounds. You can't be saying this. They know that Jesus is listening. Jesus is proclaiming that he is that light of the Lord. The light that all of the Old Testament points forward to. And that light that all of the New Testament speaks of. And this is what prompts the Pharisees in verse 13 to say that Jesus' testimony isn't true. The Old Testament law said that, that, that for a testimony to be valid, it required the testimony of two witnesses saying the same thing. And Jesus says, my testimony is true because I do have another witness, um, my God the Father in heaven. He is the one who sent me. He bears witness to me through all these signs, through these wonders. He bears witness to me, certainly through how all of this prophecy in the Old Testament is coming true in me. Jesus knows exactly what he's saying, and so do they, and now we do too. That's Jesus' claim. Now for his promise. Jesus promises that whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. First, let's see that this promise is personal. It's personal. It begins with the word, whoever. Consider that. What a wonderful word, whoever. It's an inclusive word. It has no strings attached. There's no asterisk there. There's no fine print. Problem is, we're so used to the fine print in this dark world. For competitive leaseholders only, the FDA has not tested the active ingredients not to be combined with other offers. But Jesus says, whoever. You see what this means? It means that there's room there for all of us here today. There is free welcome inside this light. You can be whoever you are, however disqualified you may feel yourself to be, however unworthy you feel you are, because this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is for all, and we're all unworthy. And so Jesus' promise, Jesus's promise is a personal promise to whoever. And so it is inclusive. But it's also a particular promise. It is for whoever follows. See, Jesus doesn't offer this world a flashlight and then say, go get him, tiger. No, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That is what faith is. It involves a realization that all of the torches that I have lit over the years in order to light my own way in this darkness have failed, and I've come to realize it it is of no use to light any new ones. My only hope is to listen to Jesus and what he can offer to me. He offers himself as the light of the world. And I come to believe, I come to follow a personal promise, a particular promise. It mandates a response from you. Will you 
follow the light of the world. Jesus' promise is also a promise of perseverance. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, he does not mean that we won't sin nor suffer. He is not saying that you will no longer have hours, days, even seasons of hardships, even times when you feel completely alone in this dark world. Jesus isn't saying, follow me into a pain-free life. He is saying, follow me and I'll provide light in the midst of your dark pain. Look, I mean, this is, this is Jesus' own life himself, right? Jesus, the light of the world, suffered the greatest of darkness. Earlier we sang, here I am to worship, which begins, light of the world. You step down into darkness. It's true, right? Jesus, in love and obedience to the Father and with love and with pity for us all, he entered into darkness. On a dark night, the eternal divine light, Son of God, was born into a baby's body in a stinking barn. And yet light shone in the sky to lead people to him. And he suffered in this dark world as one of us. And even though he always did what was pleasing to his Father in heaven, as we read, right? The light of the world experienced darkness. He was rejected by his own people, the same ones he came to save. He was abandoned by his own disciples in his hour of great need. And then as the Son of Man, that's what Jesus called himself, was lifted up on the cross, it was at 12 noon, right, on the cross. It's a time of day when it was supposed to be the brightest upon the land. That deep darkness covered the entire land. Darkness, it's a, it's a sign of God's judgment. Darkness engulfed the light of the world. And as he hung there in darkness, taking upon himself the sins of the world, he did this. But in the darkness, it did not have the final say. On the third day, the stone was rolled away. The light of the world burst forth from the grave. Our closing hymn uh, this morning is In Christ Alone. And it, it lets us sing of that truth. There in the ground his body lay. Light of the world, by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. So let us know this. When we entrust our lives to the light of the world, it does not mean that we are exempt from hardship. In fact, Christians are to expect more difficulties in life as we follow Christ. Did not our Lord say, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you? He did, by the way. But here is what the promise means and why this promise promotes perseverance. Jesus means he will not abandon you in the darkness. That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for you are with us. That's the cry of God's people. It's not why have you abandoned me. It's I believe you are the light in my difficult days. I will fear no evil. You are with me. And so this is a promise that we will never be abandoned by God. We will never be condemned by God, rejected, ostracized by God. God has something amazing for us all who have turned to follow after the light of the world. Paul writes, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. My friends, it's so important that we understand what God has done for us in Christ. Many of us are suffering this morning, some perhaps deeply. Some of you perhaps are just barely hanging on or you've been there before. But here's what you can know. You're not slipping away from God into hell. As the Apostle Paul makes clear, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so let me ask you, what biblical character that you know of whose life didn't fall apart? who didn't experience what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. Abraham was tempted to think God had forsaken him. Moses fled in panic for his life. David was fleeing for most of his life. Jeremiah was so pained in life that he earned the nickname the weeping prophet. None of them got their best life now. But what they received from God was divine light in this darkness. When Jesus is your light of the world, even the darkness is not dark to you. But those who do not have the light of life are left clueless in their pain. When the unbeliever once again finds himself or herself in a pit of darkness, he will fumble to find a torch to light. But when the believer is in a pit of darkness, he will look to the light of the world to illuminate his or her circumstances. And isn't that what God does for his people? He illuminates our circumstances. That's God's persevering promise to us. He does not take us out of this dark world. He illuminates it for us. I like how Ortland describes how Christians can now address the pains in our lives because Christ is our light. He says, when our lives have become hell, our pain lies to us. Our pain lies by saying, God doesn't care. You're all alone. He says, but now we know how to talk to pain. Welcome, Mr. Pain. Jesus sent you. There are some things you cannot do. You cannot redefine me, make me hysterical, or make me define, deny him. But you are free to take me deeper with him if I get more of him. Okay, pain? This is the illumination that comes into your life when Jesus is the light of the world for you. Instead of pain speaking to you, you speak to your pain. And then Jesus takes you deeper. And the Holy Scriptures are part of this illumination. Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When we soak in scriptures, we begin to see ourselves and this world with heavenly eyes. Our dark world is illuminated, and we're able to walk in the light of life. And listen, when we walk in this light of life, there's joy. Or at least there should be. There's celebration. Our lives are are marked by heartfelt, deep worship and praise. Consider those worshipers way back in in Jesus' day at at the Feast of Tabernacles. They had the light of the temple shining over them for seven days, and yet they sang and they danced and they celebrated and they rejoiced. 
how much more so us? How much more shall we be singers and dancers and celebrators and rejoicers at God's grace? Jesus' promise is a promise of perseverance. I am the light of the world. I'm the light of your world. Following me is hard, Jesus says, but, but I'm always with you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not sorry for getting involved in your life. Take the next step with me and I will be a light for you. And I will always be with you. You will not walk in darkness. You see what this means? This means the pressure is not on you. Christ has taken the pressure on himself to light your path. All he's asking is for you to follow him. What does it mean to follow him? It's the same word follow in the Greek is used of a student following the teacher's thought, a soldier following his leader, a citizen following the decrees of the, de- of the, of the city. It means that Jesus is your totality, that you embrace him as the light of the world. It means you've come to, to lay down your torches. It means your chips are all in. <laughs> so let me ask you, are, are your chips all in? Are are you ready to lay down your torches and and follow after him? If you do, you have this promise. You will not walk in darkness. And you will have the light of life. We've seen this morning that Jesus makes a bold and audacious claim. In, In saying, I am, Jesus invokes deity upon himself. He, he makes a claim, I am the light of the world, and he gives a promise, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Our passage ends in verse 30, and uh, with the statement, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And certainly, as we know from reading the book of Acts, that after Jesus was lifted up, they thought he was going to kill himself, but it turns out they were the ones who killed him, right? How ironic. But when you read the book of Acts, you read that some of these very priests, most likely who were there, arguing with Jesus, saying, we don't trust your testimony. We read that eventually a number of them came to believe and trust in Christ. And so the question before us today is, do you believe in him? Is Jesus your light of the world, or do you still have a man-made torch in your hand to guide you through life? My father's story illustrates what we've studied. My, um, my father's life was marked with a lot of darkness. Um, and it was mostly a darkness brought upon himself. You've seen that before, right? When he was young, the darkness was pretty manageable. I mean, he was a handsome, outgoing man. <laughs> you can see where I get my good looks. <laughs> and he married a beautiful blonde. But the constant drinking cast a shadowy darkness into his life. First he drank his business away, then he drank his wife away, and then he drank his sons away. So God in his grace brought me into his kingdom, and I started sharing the gospel with my dad. And every time, every time, at the end he would say, no. But then one, then one day he collapsed with stroke-like symptoms. and He spent a week in the ICU. The, the neuros, neurosurgeon said, I should pull the plug. 
I didn't. I, I asked, give him a feeding tube. After a month in the ICU, he came to, but he was almost comatose. They moved him into this rehab unit, and he showed little signs of improvement. He could barely think or speak or eat, just drooled a lot. But then one day on a Tuesday, I mean, he's in his room. I would go get his mail, and I would go and open it in front of him. And, and, and we're there, and, and I look up at him at the foot of his bed. I look up, and I see him going like this with the sheets. He has them lift up. And I'm like, Pops, what, what are you doing? And he's like startled. He's like, uh, he just drops them back down. And then a few minutes later, the same thing. I'm like, Pops, so this time I get up and I walk next to him and he's got the sheets up and I'm looking under there. I'm like, Pops, what are you looking for? And with a raspy voice, he says, light. I said, what? I'm looking for light. And I paused for a moment. I said, yes, Pops, you have been looking for light. You need the light of Christ in your life. And he says, you always told me that. I said, yes, but Pops, do you now believe? He said, yes. Now, as a good Presbyterian, I could hardly believe it. In fact, I struggled to believe that my father had really trusted in Christ because of such a real simple display of faith. But then the kingdom of heaven is for childlike faith, is it not? Next Tuesday, I'm there opening my mail, and my, my father's memory was pretty shot at that point, at least his short-term memory. It was so damaged. Uh, but then he began telling me the story of how when he was a little boy, he would go down the street on his bicycle to the ice cream store, and he'd get an ice cream cone. And he was able to ride back home so fast that his ice cream didn't melt, and then he would eat it at home. I'm like thinking, gosh, Pops, you got a pretty good memory today. Do you, do you remember what you did last Tuesday? He said, without skipping a beat, he goes, yes, I gave my life to God. You know, my father, he lit a lot of torches in his life. And he was looking for light. And he found it in Christ. You know, a few months later, he got to move back. He moved into our home. He got, to, uh, he got to live with us for a while. The first funeral I ever officiated was Pops. It was in uh, 2011. You know, I was sad, but it, it was also a time of joy as well. See, Pops knew. Pops, I came to know that Pops had found out for himself what all who turn to Christ eventually find out. That, that, that the light of the world is eternal. And that one day that light leads you home. Let's pray. Father, you look down on this world and you see people made in your image. And when you offer them light from heaven, you see them scurrying around this earth with their own torches, stumbling over themselves, hurting themselves and hurting others. But you love them. You love us. We are those people that you've redeemed. May we be strengthened by these words of Christ, 
May we know for sure and never flee from the fact that you, Jesus, are the light of the world. There is no other. And so we follow you. And we walk not in darkness, for we have the light of life. Amen.